0: We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul is defending himself in the ministry. If you haven't been with us, basically that's one of the main purposes of this, uh, this second epistle of Paul's to the Corinthians. His character had come under attack because of his, well, his itinerary. If you were to compare, don't do it now, but you can write down if you'd like to, to check me out. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses chapter 1 of this letter, you will see that basically the problem was that Paul had made plans to visit Corinth and they hadn't worked out. He made plans and they didn't work out the way he expected. Has that happened to anyone here? Just a few. The rest of you are liars. (laughs) I asked the the same question Thursday and nearly everybody uh, raised their hands. A lot of hands went up if you raise your hand, you said, you know what, I've made plans and they haven't worked out. What if I were to, to turn to you and say, well, I guess you guys are really undependable. I guess you guys are just not men and women of your word. Those were the kinds of things being said about Paul, all because of a change in his itinerary. They were saying things like, well, he must not be an apostle. He can't obviously can't be hearing from God because he can't even hear from God on his schedule. Or... Worse, there were some that were perhaps saying, maybe he never even intended to come. Maybe he's not really a man of his word. See, if you really want to attack someone's character, it's pretty easy to do. So Paul is defending his character and his itinerary change. Look at me at chapter 1, actually. Back up just a bit. We're going to take a real quick uh, synopsis of some of the things that Paul has said in his own defense. First, uh, for Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 17 says, therefore, when I was planning this, when I was pl- making my plans to visit, did I do it lightly or the things I plan? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. In other words, he's saying I didn't say that I was coming with no intention of coming. I had every intention of coming to you as I had planned. Paul says I didn't have my fingers crossed when I said that I would come to Corinth. Paul says, I modeled my speech after my God, and he is faithful to his word. Look at verse 23, chapter 1, verse 23. Paul says, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. He says, here's another thing. Also, God will back me up on this, that it was a good thing that I did not come as I had planned. He says, because if I had, I would have had to confront you personally. He said, instead, I decided to write a letter. But, of course, that letter wasn't well-received either. So Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 4 now, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Anybody here ever been misunderstood? Yeah. More hands now, I see. Misunderstood, maligned. You ever been to that place where where you're trying to fix it? You're trying to make it better, but because the other party isn't interested in reconciliation, it's like everything you say can and will be used against you. It's like the man who came home from work at his usual hour, 5 p.m. He discovered that it wasn't one of his wife's better days. Nothing, he said, seemed to be right. By 7 p.m., two hours later, things had not changed, hadn't gotten any better. So he suggested, you know what, maybe maybe I'll go outside. What if I go outside and I pretend to come home again and we can start all over again? And his wife agreed. So he went outside, he came back in, and with a big smile announced, honey, I'm home. She said, and just where have you been? It's after 7 o'clock. <laughs> you ever been there where you can't win? You... No matter what you say or do, you're misunderstood. You cannot win. If that's you, you and Paul can have a latte in heaven someday. He'd be like, sit down. Oy vey, I got stories. (laughs) What do you do in those situations? What do you do when you're misunderstood, when you are maligned, when it doesn't matter what you say, you cannot win? Well, I can tell you one thing. You can only shore up one half of that relationship. You can really only... Be responsible for your half, but you can make sure you are doing that. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if this is you, if you are frequently misunderstood, you might want to write this one down. Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men. So as much as depends upon you, you are to live at peace with all men. Now, how do you do that? I think just like Paul is doing. What's he doing here? He's stating his case. He's pouring out his heart. What you do if you're misunderstood is to state your case, pour out your heart as lovingly as you know how. Proverbs 15.1 is another really good verse to have. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's your choice. A soft answer turns away wrath or a harsh word stirs up anger. Paul is doing exactly this. As we come to verse 12, he is giving a soft answer. Look, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, this is chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. You might not see it there, but Paul is showing his love for them. Here's how it's working. Paul says to them, just to let you know how much I care about you guys in Corinth, he says the Lord was doing a great work in Troas. He opened a door of opportunity. People were getting saved left and right in Troas. You have the, the PowerPoint? I'll show you guys where, where we are here. You see, uh, again, the beauty of a small church. Ephesus, <laughs> is it's where he wrote 1 Corinthians. Up there, which I can't reach, is Troas. You see it? Yes. And all the way over here is Corinth. Okay, you can keep, leave that on for just a second. He, he's in Troas there, and things are going great guns. The ministry is going great. People are getting saved left and right, and he basically says, look, I couldn't rest. I, I didn't enjoy it. I couldn't concentrate. He said, you know why? Because I had sent Titus to check up on you guys, to see how things were going, to see how you received my last letter, to see if there was still a rift between you and me. And he says, and he was supposed to meet me in Troas, but he didn't show. And the ministry was going great. Still didn't show. So Paul says, you can let it go now. He says, in the midst of actually, sorry, I like one more time. He says, in the midst of this, of this great revival of this awesome work of the Lord, says my heart wasn't in it. So I traveled over to Macedonia. Do you see it? It's on the, the top left hand corner. That big area called Macedonia. So that he went looking for. His companion, Titus. Basically, he's saying, okay, now you can let it go. Basically, he's saying, I couldn't rest. Everything was perfect. Everything was going great. But you know what? In the back of my mind, it was like, there's still something unresolved with the Corinthians. And I haven't heard from Titus. What do I do? He went backtracking, if you will, to try to meet Titus along the way because he, he just couldn't take it anymore. Verse 13, he says, so taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. To look for Titus. To hear from you. Paul couldn't enjoy the ministry without being right with his fellow saints. There's a question. I hope that describes you and me. I think it describes me most of the time. I can't really enjoy the ministry unless there is a peace among me and my brethren. I hope that describes you. In verse 13, Paul leaves Troas to go to Macedonia. Now, fast forward with me to chapter 7. I want to show you something. We're leaving chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, I took my leave to go to Macedonia. Now look at chapter 7, verse 5. Paul says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of, there he is, Titus. They met up, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he has comforted. He was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You see that? It took him till chapter seven, verse five, to reveal that. Hey, I finally did meet up with with my brother Titus, and he gave me a great report. Things are well between you and me. That's an awesome thing. So, chapter two, verse thirteen. To chapter 7, verse 5, Paul is somewhere between Troas and Macedonia. Between chapter 2, verse 13, and chapter 7, verse 5, many co- commentators call this, this section, the great digression. And let me tell you, it is one great digression. I mean, that's, that's four and a half chapters that you could put in one giant parenthesis. But it's also one great digression. See, it's a great insight into Paul's view on the, the whole ministry. We're going to see in these chapters, we're going to see what makes Paul tick. How, how was he so successful? How, how can a man go, go through all that he went? We've seen this in the last couple chapters, right? Uh, stoning, uh, being beaten with rods, shipwrecked, the whole schmear. How can he go through all these things without getting depressed, defeated, defeated? Demoralized. If you've ever looked at Paul and said, You know what? I really want to be that kind of man for God. This next passage, verse 14, is like an entry into his most private journal. We begin to see what makes Paul tick. This explains a lot. Look with me now. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph, in Christ. Now that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. How many of you could say this week, according to your own experience, Hey, he's talking about me. Christ always leads me in triumph in Christ. I always walk in victory. Nobody? I mean, it, it sounds good. It sound, you know is it, is it just poetic language here? It sounds good, but when I look at my own life... It sounds like wishful thinking. For that matter, if you looked at Paul's life and all that he suffered, I mean, even in the midst of this great prosperity in in Troas, this, this conflict with Corinth, when you look at Paul's life and you hear these words, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, we're tempted to say, Paul, what are you smoking? Well, this should help. Paul here is referring to a very, very familiar event to the Romans. You guys might not know about it, but the Corinthians would. It was called the Roman Triumph. It was a parade. A colossal, huge victory parade. This was the biggest spectacle that ever happened in the Roman world. See, when a a a Roman general, a dignitary, someone who was, was a warrior would go to a foreign land, if they would defeat the enemy and kill at least 5,000 of the enemy, they would put on one of these triumphs. One of these triumphal parades. They would enter through the Arch of Triumph in Rome and they would end at the Circus Maximus. This was, this was a parade that would sometimes last all day and even into the night. This was one that celebrated the victory of this Roman general. Now, Go with me. Let's say you packed your lunch, picnic lunch, and maybe dinner. And let's say we we go out and we stake out a really good spot to watch this triumph, this parade. You find a great spot there at the corner of Caesar Street and Augustus Avenue. And here's what you see. This is according to Barclay. Now, pay attention, okay? Listen, because there's going to be a quiz. Here we go. First came the state officials and the senate then came the trumpeters then were carried the spoils taken from the conquered land then came the pictures of the conquered land and models of conquered citadels and ships then followed the white bull for sacrifice which would be made then there were then walked the captive princes the leaders and generals of the enemy in chains shortly to be flung into prison And in all probability, almost immediately to be executed. Then came the lictors bearing their rods, followed by the musicians with their lyres. Then the priests swinging their censers with sweet-smelling incense burning in them. After that came the general himself. Finally came the army, the victorious army, wearing all their decorations and shouting, Lo, triumph! Their cry of triumph. As the procession moved through the streets, it all decorated and garlanded amid the cheering crowds. It made a tremendous day, which might happen only once in a lifetime. Now, my, my reckoning, this is actually the third time Paul has kind of alluded to this. I wonder if one uh, was on its way to Rome in any of the locations where he's at, because he seems to be kind of coming back to this as a picture over and over again. Here's my question. How can Paul say in the midst of trial, tribulation, while being maligned, while being misunderstood, how can he say, Christ always, God always leads me in triumph? You know how? Because he saw the big picture. He saw the big picture and he saw where he fit into that big picture. He saw the huge parade. He saw where he fit into that procession. What about you? Do you see it? Do you get it? Jesus is the victorious general. He came into enemy territory, and the victory is already won. This is crazy because I learned that to qualify for a proper Roman triumph, you had to bring your army home with you because it meant the war is over. We are in that parade. We have been we were captured by the enemy, but we've been ransomed. By Jesus. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus today, no matter what your circumstances, you can say with Paul, verse 14, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Because you know where this parade ends, you know who wins, and you are on the winning side. Maybe you're saying, Okay, but I'm not convinced. My circumstances. You know those clowns? In the little cars. In parades. You know what I'm talking about? They weave in and out. Sometimes they're headed the wrong direction. They bump into each other. They fall down. It's chaos. But you know what? When the parade ends, if the parade ends at 4th and Main, you know where you're going to find those clowns? 4th and Main. That's because they're part of the parade. Now, listen up, clowns. Whether you feel like you're going in circles, whether you feel like you've hit major speed bumps, whether you spend half your time falling down, if you've been set free by the king, you will end up at the destination. Now, you might not end up at the destination with the rewards that he wants you to have, but you will end up at the destination. You can say with Paul, verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us. Diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, what's he talking about now? Well, I told you there'd be a quiz. Were you paying attention in the parade? If you went to the parade, what came, to see if you're paying attention, what came after the enemies, the condemned enemies and the musicians? The priests swinging the uh, censors with this sweet smelling incense burning in them. This literally was the sweet smell of victory to all the Romans. I mean it was actually one of the ways you might know that hey the parade's on, it's close because you could smell this sweet smelling incense. Paul sees himself as the priest as a priest of the victorious king. He says wherever I go I carry the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. He says, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. The knowledge of Christ. That means to know Jesus. To be known by him. There is nothing sweeter. The song is true, right? It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. That was Paul's message. And that is my message for you. In case you don't know it or forgot I'm in a parade, and the king, he died for you. He died for me. He lives for you, and you can trust in him. Look with me again at verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Notice those words, in every place. This is interesting, a quick point to me. We learned two weeks ago, you remember what the word Achaia means? That was the region surrounding Corinth. The word means literally trouble. You know what the word Macedonia means? We also saw it on the map. It means a wide open space. Now remember, context, Paul is defending his itinerary. Basically he says, look, I'm just following my king. Sometimes my king, the parade, leads me in triumph in Christ. Sometimes he leads me through Achaia, trouble. Sometimes he leads me... Through Macedonia, wide open, great spaces. Either way, Paul says, God is leading me in triumph in Christ. Either way, He diffuses through me the fragrance of His knowledge. Look at verse 15. You thought we'd never get there. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Okay, let me just say it. This is a bit awkward. But you guys smell good. I mean, good. You smell good. And so do I. Even though the water is not working out there, you smell good. And so do I. Now, you're probably thinking, wait a second, let me be the judge of that. Actually, in verse 15, there are three different judges of how you and I smell I mean, if a smell can have an audience, there are three audiences mentioned in verse 15. The first is God. If you're a Christian, maybe you've probably never occurred to you before, but have you ever thought, what do I smell like to God? What do you smell like to God? Verse 15 says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ. That means simply when you come near God, if you're a Christian, He smells Jesus. And that's a good thing. Believe me. The priests back in the day, they would burn incense as they came into the temple. But also, they would burn sacrifices. And every sacrifice had an aroma. Heavenly barbecue. Father's Day is gone here. Maybe you guys can appreciate the fact that our Heavenly Father appreciates a good barbecue. The point is, We don't want to come to God smelling of our own righteousness, of our own goodness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. And if I were to give him my own righteousness, it would be a stench before him. But because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and we've been clothed in his righteousness, we are to God. It says right here, the sweet fragrance of his obedient son. The word fragrance there in this verse is euodia. Right? Odia, that makes sense. Odor, smell, but the, the prefix U is important. It means good. It's a good smell. Parents, have you ever held your little one tight after they had a really good bath? I mean, right after? <laughs> There's nothing sweeter, right? I mean, if you catch them quick enough, they smell great. Jesus has washed you. He's washed you with his cleansing blood. And it's amazing because it's an eternal cleansing. It's an eternal cleansing. And so God, our heavenly father, when we draw near to him, he smells his precious little one. Verse 15, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Three audiences. Not only are you the fragrance of Christ to God, but you are the fragrance of Christ among the only two categories of people in the whole world. There's only been two kinds of people in all of the world, in all of history, right? Saints and ain'ts. There's only two kinds. Those those who are being saved and those who are, it says, perishing. Now, again, Christian, don't get this wrong, but both of those audiences think you smell. Verse 16 says, to the one we are the aroma of death, leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life, leading to life. Let's go back to the Roman triumph. Somewhere between the enemies who were conquered, who were condemned to die, and the army of the victor, that would be us, Christians, somewhere in between there were those priests, and all over the place was this distinct aroma filling the streets. To the the army of this victorious general, to the army of the king, if you will, this was a sweet smell of victory. To those who were condemned to die, that same smell was a stench. Because it meant they were going to die. Every sniff reminded them of their defeat, of their doom. You guys get it, right? the reason that people get so angry when you mention Jesus, when you begin to diffuse the knowledge of Christ, you're like that little plug-in air freshener. It just keeps pumping it out, right? You keep pumping out that, that diffusing smell. It's a sweet smell to God. It's a sweet smell to the saints. But when you do it around those who are condemned to die, It's not a good smell for them. You should be encouraged. It's nothing personal. You just smell like death. Every day the triumph, this parade draws a bit closer to the Circus Maximus where the enemies of the victor will meet their destruction. And you are that aroma. If you're a Christian, you are that aroma either to life or to death depending on where your audience stands in relation to the victor. If you are an unbeliever this morning, it's exactly why you want to leave right now. It's why you cannot wait to get your foot out the door. Because the smell that we love as Christians, for you, it's like a, the distant smell of, of burning flesh. And it's getting closer with every step. On the other hand, verse 16 says, To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. It's the exact same smell. The smell didn't change. To the enemies of Christ, it's a stench. But to the winning side, it's a sweet smell of victory. This is why when you're at work and you run into another Christian, it's like, oh, there's another Christian. Sweet. Sweet. You even say, sweet. I mean, you can't put a finger on it. You can't pin it down, but it's encouraging. It's uplifting. It's just sweet. There's the, they are the aroma of life to you, leading to life, and vice versa. This is why i love to come here to the YMCA. There's, you guys know there's a lot of sweat in this room during the week. But today, worship was sweet. You know why, right? It's just a little whiff of heaven. When we get together, there's this fragrance, if you will. When we gather, it is just sweet. I hope you smell it. When we worship, sometimes I'm just like, It's just so sweet. Paul says, look. We're in a victory parade. And just our presence, just the message that we bring is a sweet smell to God, but your earthly audience will either love it or hate it. They will either uh, just be enraptured by it or they will detest it. But either way, Paul says, don't forget, we win. You get that? Your presence. Sometimes, as a Christian, you, you, you try to witness and They shut you down. They say, I'm not not interested in that Jesus stuff. That stinks. Paul says, look, either way, you win. He says, all I'm doing is, everywhere I go, it's this fragrance of Christ. Some people love it, some people hate it, but either way, I win. You get it? You cannot lose. Paul understood that, though it seemed he, for instance, couldn't win with the Corinthians, the short term, it looked like, man, my... Am I ever going to get through with these guys? Are are we going to be able to patch things up? It looked like he could not win. He understood that though he couldn't seemingly win with the Corinthians, he could not possibly lose in the long run. He would just keep on being who he was, the fragrance of Christ. And Paul ends now a bit amazed at this privilege, at our privilege. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? Now, I suppose since a Roman triumph was a pretty rare event, I wonder if like the pagan priests, you know, were like, hey, I want to do the censor. No, I won't. You know, There were probably a few, but I would assume there's probably some kind of a competition here, some kind of a fierce rivalry. Paul says, who is worthy to be in the triumph parade? I mean, who is worthy to get to beckon the whole world to applaud a victorious king? Revelation five actually holds the answer. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Revelation five talks about who is worthy. They're searching heaven. They're, they're searching every place they can to find to see who would be worthy to open the scroll. In the midst, in their midst, it says, "There stood a lamb as though he had been slain." You guys know, that's Jesus. Revelation chapter five, verse nine, it says, "And they sang a new song saying, "You." are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Who is worthy? Well, in the strictest sense, only the victor, only our king. But it's great because in the next chapter you'll see, Paul says, God has made me sufficient for this task. So he answers this question, who is sufficient for these things? He's like, well, I am not in me, but God makes me sufficient to this wonderful responsibility he's given me. He lets me diffuse this fragrance to the whole world. Some of them will love it. Some of them will hate it. But what a privilege. And he's made me sufficient. (laughs) Now, think about that. Before Paul was saved, if you had to pick one guy who would not be leading a victory parade for Jesus, wouldn't it have been Paul? Paul was an enemy of Christ. He had dragged Christians to their deaths. And now he's sufficient to be a priest to diffuse this fragrance of Christ to the whole world. How does that work? Only a loving, forgiving Jesus could do that. Here's an application as we close. Number one, we know to God, if you are in Christ, you are the sweet fragrance of his son. You are clean, you are washed. But maybe you've been thinking, as we've been talking, is there a a way to improve my aroma before the world? Maybe you're thinking, I would like to be sweeter. Maybe the people next to you are thinking that. If you're thinking, look, I I know that the enemies of Christ will find this sweet aroma on me. They'll find it offensive. They'll find it a warning. But I'm good with that. I can handle that. But I want to be a a sweet fragrance before my Christian brothers and sisters. I really want to improve my scent to the world. What do you do? Well, again, you can't improve your scent before the Lord because he smells Jesus every time you come near him. That's a pretty good deal. But how can you be sweeter to the people around you? Well, maybe you've heard this. I heard of a a florist once. Whoever she went, she would get compliments on her perfume. She didn't wear any perfume. She spent hour after hour in the presence of some of the most fragrant flowers in existence. You get it? What was it that made Paul so fragrant? He spent time with the rose of Sharon. Everyone throughout history who was, has really diffused the fragrance of God, everyone who's really made an impact on their surroundings has spent time with the rose of Sharon. Jesus. Acts chapter 4, 13. You don't have to turn there talks about when Peter and Paul and these guys, they were constantly amazing, the Pharisees and their adversaries. It's like, how did these guys get so bold? How did they get so smart? What is it? What is with these guys? 413 says, Acts 413. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Well, that's not exactly true. They were trained, but in fishing. Uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that what they had been with Jesus. You get it? That was the fragrance of Christ. (laughs) Think about this. If spending time with Jesus can make fishermen smell good, (laughs) there's hope for you and me. Today we should come to Him. We should embrace Him. We should spend time with Him. And we'll take on that sweet fragrance of Christ. Don't worry about the victory. The victory is assured. But let's attract as many people as we can.